0: I have to tell you personally this is an amazing experience for me. I'm I'm standing on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece and this is an amazing place. It was was the center of religion for the Romans in the time, but the Greeks before behind me is the Acropolis, the religious center for Athens, which is unique. Acropolis was usually a place of defense, but here it became the religious center and the great temple up there is the temple to Athena. There's also the temple to Nike, the god of victory. And down here in the Agora, which was the communication center, the business center, the news center. It was filled with hundreds of shrines and statues and temples. I mean, these were their gods. These were what they believed in. This is what they lived for and sacrificed for. But they had so many gods that they weren't sure that they had identified all of them. And so as Paul walked down through their statues and their religious centers he came across the unknown God statue they actually had a statue to an unknown God just in case they they had left someone out Paul was as he always did whether with a lady at a small riverbed in Philippi or with the powerhouse people and rulers of the day was sharing about Jesus because they didn't allow foreign gods here they hauled them to this rock, the Oropagus met here. This was like the Supreme Court where the philosophers and the magistrates and the judges of the day ruled about what was right and wrong. And he said, as I was walking through your display of gods, I saw that you have a statue to the unknown God. And I'm here to introduce to you that God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who, who could save them and forgive them and redeem them, that with all of their gods, the unknown God was the great God. His name is Jesus. You know, in response to Paul's story, some laughed, many walked away, but some started following Jesus because Paul was willing to declare the simple story here on Mars Hill on that day. I couldn't wait to get to Athens. It was one of the places that I wanted to visit more than any other around the world as it related to understanding the Bible and experiencing where Bible characters had gone in the New Testament church. But but what I experienced when I actually had the privilege of being there was quite frankly a surprise to me. The Apostle Paul, one of the giants of the faith, I'd been studying his story, I'd been, I'd been studying his writings, teaching from his writings for years. He's one of my great spiritual heroes. So for me, he casts an amazing shadow, and I thought that standing in that shadow, standing in that place where he made such a bold stand for God would man, lift me up and expand me and inspire me to new things in my faith. But on the contrary, standing on Mars Hill kind of discouraged me. Don't don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful place, it's majestic, it's a wonder, but spiritually it just really discouraged me. I'm going to be really honest, it made me feel a little bit smaller as a person of God than I did before I stood there. It caused me to do a life comparison with the Apostle Paul, with this guy. And I have to tell you, when, when you do a life comparison with a guy like that, more than likely your story is going to lose. And that's exactly what happened to me, and so it started diminishing me a little bit. You see, from my view, Paul is bigger than life but from my view, and I get to see myself from the inside out, I'm not bigger than life. I mean, to be honest, more often than not, because I know me from the inside out, life is bigger than me in my story. Life often wins with all of its challenges against my story, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of you can relate to me a little bit. If you did a life comparison with the Apostle Paul, you you might get a little bit more discouraged about your level of faith and the size of the life that you're living for God and how your story is. I think most of our stories would lose against him from our perspective. But there's a lesson in this for us, and and it's a lesson that I believe can impact you just as it's impacted me. You see, because God used Paul in such a big way, it's easy for us to see him differently than he really was when he was walking on this planet. It's easy for us to think that that he was just a different kind of guy made of different stuff, more special than we are. It's easy for us to look at a guy like that who really accomplished big things and and think that, wow, he was just more naturally courageous than we are, more naturally confident than we are. He was just more competent and gifted than we are he he had capabilities that put him in a special category which eliminates us and and it starts diminishing us and making us feel small and and i have to tell you when you when you start looking at the surface of his story the the context of of the unbelievable life he lived it doesn't help make you feel any bigger and it doesn't m- make him any smaller it makes him appear to be a superman of faith, quite frankly. I mean, all you have to do is unfold the the book of Acts as we've been doing here in this this series of origin. I just want to give you the context of the story that leads up to this weekend's focused Athens. And we already saw Philippi, but look at, again, what happened to Paul when he spoke up for Jesus in this place called Philippi, Acts 16, verses 23 through 24. After they, that's speaking of Paul and, and his partner Silas, had been severely beaten they were thrown into prison, and the jailer then was commanded to guard them carefully. And so after receiving those orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stock. So all, the point is, I mean, he, he went public for Jesus in Philippi, and it didn't go well. I mean, he, he told the story of Jesus and what he thought about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he was the one true God, and he got punished severely for it. Moving on from Philippi then, he went to Thessalonica is how we pronounce it, which is in modern-day Greece. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 5, we learn that it didn't go well again, but the Jews were jealous. He was speaking for Christ, and God was displaying uh, His presence and His power in Paul's life in amazing ways. People were being drawn to Paul's ministry, and, and so the Jews were jealous. And they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city all to take Paul down. Now Paul was able to skirt this and get away from it but but I mean these people wanted to kill him. They wanted to create a riot around him and isn't this just like religious people, right? I mean religious people they wouldn't do this, but they'd be glad to hire people to do it for them. I mean, it's just an amazing gig going on here. That is crazy what he experienced. But, but time and time again, Paul goes public with his faith. He's trying to declare Jesus to be who he really believes he is, the one true creator of the world who came to redeem. And every time he does it, things go poorly. Things go south. He, he gets the pulp beat out of him, or else he has to run for his life. And so if he was like me, and this is why his estimation keeps growing when I look at him from the surface, if he, if he was like me, he would start learning and changing his behavior, right? Okay, every time I go into the city and I speak Jesus out loud, I get taken down. So maybe I could start doing it differently. But he doesn't change. Look at what happens when he leaves Thessalonica and goes to Berea. Acts chapter 17, verse 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was now preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up, trying to, to take him down, and so Paul had to move again, and he's always on the run because he's always doing the same thing, and then he goes to Athens. And Acts 17, verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols and I told you a little bit about that in the opening video. Well, if he experienced trouble in those other places, those lesser places, he he could have really expected to experience trouble here in Athens. I mean, this was a world center for religion and philosophy. This was This had been a world center for religion and philosophy in the time of the Greek Empire and certainly continuing in the Roman Empire. I mean, their gods were very, very important to them. They sacrificed a lot to them, devoted themselves. They had a supreme court to judge the worthiness of philosophy and and of religion in this area. It was a big deal. And, And if Paul was ever going to adjust his message to fit his crowd and to protect himself, it would have been here, but he didn't do it. And so he was thrown in front of their supreme court. Now in 5 B.C. their Supreme Court was just unbelievably powerful. It had diminished over the centuries and in Paul's day they were basically empowered over religion and education but that was where he came in and so they had the power to destroy his life and what did he do when he was thrown in front of that Supreme Court? He put on the robes of the culture and and he adjusted his message so that the Supreme Court would give him a 5-4 decision in favor, right? No. Here's what's amazing to me. After all he'd experienced as a result of speaking for Christ, he's now in this place where the whole thing could cave around him, and he still didn't flinch. He jumped in with both feet and boldly shared Christ. You know what he shared? He said, said, I've noticed that, that there's an unknown God statue. You know, you guys know a lot of your gods. I mean, big temples, great devotion, all that, but just in case you missed it, you made a statue to the unknown God. Well, I'm going to tell you, you people and I'm I'm putting Brad Paul spin to this but but I mean he's basically saying you people are so stupid because he's saying you've built all these great God's temples and statues and all that but then there's this God you don't know and I'm here to tell you the God you don't know with all the gods you do know the God you don't know he's the only real deal and he says, you've wasted all of your money, you've wasted all your sacrifices, you've wasted all your time, you waste wasted all your devotion, because the gods you do know aren't real, and the god you don't know is real. And I'm here to tell you his name is Jesus. Now, that's putting it in their face, friends. I mean, he's going nuts over this thing. I mean, he's basically got a death wish, it appears. And so I look at him, and I go, oh, my gosh, he was just bigger than life. He was bigger than his moments and bigger than his challenges. And, and he was so different than me. Because if I was standing on that hill in front of that group, my knees would have been shaking and my confidence would have been lagging and, and I would have wanted to kind of make the message sound a little bit more palatable in that setting. Wouldn't you? Isn't this how you approach your life in the marketplace? Isn't this how you approach your life in in your neighborhoods in your communities and even your face you don't want people to think you're a fanatic you don't want to go full bore so we kinda do this because that's who we are and then we look at Paul and we go oh my gosh he's nothing like us and you know it kind of comforts us, us a little bit think he's nothing like us he was made of different stuff and so we have an excuse for why we're not bold like him we have an excuse for why we don't live like him because he just had special giftings special nature that we don't have. But you know, that's wrong. He didn't have a special nature and special giftings that we don't have. We can't excuse ourselves on that basis. He was made of the same raw material as we are. And though it's hard to see from our standpoint in in the world looking back on his life because he looks bigger than life, the good news is God allowed Paul to give some personal confessions that helps us to see him for who he really was in all of his humanity you see following Athens Paul moved on to Corinth and remember the context I mean things didn't go well with him in any place and then he's thrown in front of the Supreme Court in Athens it's just it's tough stuff it's tough growing, and and then he goes to Corinth next and if my view of him was right, you know, he'd be saying, I came in all pumped up, the more they're against me, the more I'm ready to go after them. Yeah. But that's not what he said. Look what he tells them. In Acts 18.1, it tells us that after Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth. So we know Corinth was his next destination, and later in writing to these people, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. When when I look back on Paul's life from my view, I I don't see him with knees trembling and legs shaking and and being in this way, but he says, "When I came, I was scared to death." You see, he wasn't as naturally courageous as he appears. He he was made of the kind of stuff we're made of where dangerous settings scare us, where insecurities are real, where we don't want to be hurt and experience pain and be rejected and, you know, be beaten and thrown in prison. We don't want any of that stuff. He wasn't as naturally courageous as he appears. He was a lot like me. In 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, he says, for I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. When I, when I look at Paul, I, I think this is a guy who just knew he was somebody. I mean, to stand on Mars Hill and the, you know, Jesus, you've got to really, man, you've got to just really believe in yourself. But, you know, here he says, you know, I, I don't believe in myself at all. I, I, I'm, in other places, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. I persecute the church. If there's anyone who doesn't deserve to stand up and speak for Jesus, it's me. If there's anybody who doesn't have the ability to stand up and speak for Jesus and be taken seriously, it's me. I'm the le- I don't even belong as an apostle. And so he wasn't as naturally confident as he comes off being. He saw himself through his worst behavior. He saw himself through his failures and his weaknesses. He saw himself through the bad mistakes he made in his past. And, and boy, I can relate to that because one of the things that makes it so difficult for me to stand and deliver anything for God is the fact that I know who I am and how I think and what I've done. And I see myself through the lens of my own weaknesses, don't you? And when I look at him, I think he must not have had the same kind of weaknesses, but then his confession shows me he had the exact same kind of weaknesses, and yet he stood. Oh, my gosh. How'd he do it? And then I read another place where he goes, in 2 Corinthians 11.30, if I boast, if I'm going to brag about anything, I'm going to boast and brag about the things that show my weakness. And he basically talked a lot about his weaknesses and his weaknesses, and like us, he tried to overcome his weaknesses and hide his weaknesses, but then Jesus made it clear to him, no, do you realize it's in your weak areas that you become strong, because where you're weak, you trust me, and it's where you trust me, you become strong, because your greatest strength is weakness, but my greatest strength overcomes the bigness of life, and if you just trust me, my strength will overcome, and so he wasn't as naturally competent as he appears. I I look at him, and I think this guy must have thought he was awesome, gifted. He must have known he was a Mensa candidate, you know? High IQ, high gifting, he'd be successful at everything he'd ever do, and and yet when he looked at himself, you know what he saw? He saw someone who didn't have the ability to stand and deliver filled with weakness. I can relate to, I can relate to that. Can't you relate to that? I can't relate to the Paul who stands on Mars Hill and goes full guns for Jesus. I can't do that. But I can relate to the guy who's not courageous, who's who's not confident, and who knows he he doesn't have the capabilities to stand and deliver. I can relate to that guy. And so then we have to re-ask the question, how did this guy make such a huge impact? How did this guy become Saint Paul? How did he do what he did? Uh, I've got a three-word answer for you, and this is the thing that changes it all for me. It wasn't him. It wasn't him if it was Paul standing on Mars Hill we wouldn't have heard about it because it would have been him failing like we fail but it wasn't it was Paul standing in his weakness realizing that life in that moment was bigger than he was but God was bigger than life in that moment and so he just let God in you see it was God working in and through Paul that was great not the man Paul the reality is that Paul was living a failed life until he made God the center of his life. In other words, Paul's like us. Defined by his, himself, he's a failure. Only when he's defined by God does he become great. And this is the truth with every hero of faith down through history. There has never been a hero of faith who wasn't a midget in life until they let God in. Never won. They weren't different than us. They weren't made of different stuff than us. They just opened their lives to God in a different way than we do. But here's the neat thing. We have the opportunity to experience the same great God working in us and through us that Paul did. Here's the truth that I've learned on Mars Hill that hopefully in sharing with you can encourage you as, as it has me. God chooses the weak and ordinary things of this world to change it. God doesn't make special stuff to do special stuff and then the rest of us normal. God, God uses people made of normal stuff to change the world, people whose knees are shaking, people whose confidence is confidence is lagging, people who know they don't have the ability—that's who God uses. Normal people, like Paul, which means—and this is so encouraging to me— which means He can use me with my shaky knees and my shaky confidence and my weaknesses. He can use me, which means He can use you. Isn't this awesome? Here, yeah, here. here. Here's the truth. For all of us gathered for a focus on Athens this weekend, for those of you in Grosseal and Saline and Brighton, our regional campuses, for those of you who are in Plymouth, for those of you who, and we're so thankful for you, watch online all around the world, this is the truth that we need to understand. You don't have to be strong to experience God in powerful ways in your life, and you don't have to be strong to be used by God to make a difference in this world. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing. The greatest ability is simply availability. And that's what Paul was, totally available. I mean, look at how he says it in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. He's talking about himself and them. He's putting it in perspective because everybody's always trying to be big stuff and bigger than they are and better than they are. And he says, but think of what you were when you were called by God. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. No, that's not how God does it. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him, but what they'll boast about is him. Here's the application I want to share with you. If we're going to be people who experience God in profound ways in a world that's rejecting Him in profound ways, if we're going to be people that, that make a difference for God in a world without God, like Paul did, then we have to be willing, willing to let God work in us and through us, willing and that's where I start coming up with the problem I'm gonna be honest with you because I have long said I'm willing and the truth is the fact that you're in this building you know or in one of our regional campus settings or even watching online even though I know a lot of people attend Northridge and participate who haven't yet become convinced that God's real Jesus real and all that even all of us have at least a point of willingness. That's why we're listening. We're here. We haven't closed off to it. and So we say, I'm willing. I'm willing. Oh, you know, geez, work in me. I'm willing. You know, work through me. I'm willing. But there's more to, be, there's more to being willing than simply words. And I have found that all of us have the desire to be willing, but not all of us are genuinely willing. The difference between Paul and me is that he was genuinely willing and proved it, and sometimes I'm just wanting to be willing. And if I want to experience what Paul experienced, I have to go from the wanting to the being in the area of willingness. And the same is true with you. I'm not judging your wanter. I'm I'm judging whether or not you're truly being what you want willing. And so what I've decided to do, I'm going to lay out some principles that have to be a part of our lives if we're going to be willing to let God work in us, and we're going to be willing to let God work through us so that in our weakness we can stand on our own Mars Hill and make a difference for God. I mean, what does it take to be willing? And you know what I find in in Paul? If you're going to truly be willing to let God do a work in you, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, you have to genuinely believe. That he's the one true God. You have to genuinely believe it. And I'm going to tell you, I, I think we have a willingness and a, and a want to to believe it, but I think a lot of us struggle with genuinely believing it I mean, I tell you, we walk around and we see all the things going on. All, could it be that that's true? Could it be that's true? Maybe they're right. Could it be that? Well, you know, maybe I'm not right. Maybe that Paul walked into Athens and all these temples built to all these gods. Talk about confidence. These people were confident in their stupidity. I mean, they were confident. I mean, all these statues, all this devotion. really and, and he walked into this awe-inspiring place. And he didn't hedge a bit. He knew that his God was real, and their gods were false, and it made him willing to let that God work in him. He genuinely believed, genuinely. And so he spoke. It wasn't Paul's courage that set him apart. It wasn't his confidence, and it wasn't his competence. He he confesses he was weak there. It was Paul's belief that set him apart. And can I just share this with you? True faith always trumps fear. He was afraid on Mars Hill, but his faith was bigger than his fear. The problem is many of us have fear that's bigger than our faith. We're willing and wanting, but we're not genuinely believing. Do you see the difference? We'd live very differently if we genuinely believed. You know what a person does when they genuinely believe in something? I mean when they genuinely believe in something? do You know what they do? They stand up for it. I, this is the great explanation. It's the only explanation for Martin Luther King Jr. He genuinely believed that God created all people equally. And that people deserved the right to be free of whatever ethnicity and whatever background. And, he put that on the line. Because he believed it, he stood up for it, even though he believed with all of his heart that it was going to cause him to lose his life, and it did. But when you believe something like that, you stand up for it. This is what Paul was. He stood up for Jesus not because he was more naturally confident and courageous and capable than we are, he stood up for Jesus because he believed in Jesus to a greater degree. Than we do. And so, if we're going to be willing beyond the wanting, but willing to actually let God work in us and through us, we have to get to the place where He's what we believe in more than anything else. Hebrews 11:6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I, I just really want to encourage you: focus on that. There's a second principle, I find. If we're going to be used by God to make a difference, if we're going to in this world experience God in profound ways like Paul, then we have to be willing to let God work in us and through us, which means we have to choose God's wisdom over the wisdom of the world. We We have to choose what God says is true more than what our world says is true. We have to. We have to accept what God says is right over what our world tells us is right. I mean, that's what he did. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 and 7 and then 14. We do, however, he says, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. No, we're not speaking political correctness and cultural engagement and all that. No, that's going to come to nothing. If you speak the wisdom of this world, know this, it will change next week. No, we speak God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And then he jumps to verse 14 and says, because the man without the Spirit of God, the man who doesn't have God's Spirit in him doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. In fact, the man who doesn't have God's Spirit in him thinks that God's wisdom is foolishness. He can't understand God's wisdom because God's wisdom is spiritually discerned. He." he didn't embrace the wisdom of the world. Do you, do you know why he didn't change his message from Philippi to Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to Berea, from Berea to Athens, from Athens to Corinth even though he was scared to death? You know why he didn't change his message? Because he believed that the message of God was the only wise message and the message of this world was foolish and even if it meant he died for it, he was going to live God's wisdom. That's why he didn't change his message. He didn't water it down and dilute it and put it in a closet and not say it because it might diminish his life in this world. He believed in God's wisdom, not this world's view of wisdom. And he made the choice to live by it. And if we're going to experience God working in us and through us, then our willingness has to go beyond words to where we make a choice. God's truth is going to be my truth, no matter what. And I'm going to tell you, I'm looking at Christianity today and most people aren't there. I'm just telling you. I've sat in circles with pastors where they're trying to figure out how they can, how can they communicate God and His truth in a way that is more palatable to the world. If Paul had done that, he would have failed. We have to make a choice. Are you willing? God over there, God's his wisdom over their wisdom. If we're going to be willing, we find out that we have, to f- we have to find our confidence and our competence in God and not ourselves. And I find that in religion, very often what we're trying to do is we're trying to get greater confidence in ourselves eke out wins so we can believe more, that we can win again. And and we try and express our confidence and our abilities and hone all that. And I tell you, as a pastor, I'm very tempted by this. It's like, boy, if I could just use my gifts in the right way and do all this, boy, I could lift people up and, man, I could inspire them and do all that stuff. But the truth is, I might inspire a bunch of people, but I'll change none. And so... I can't find my confidence in, my competence in myself or in my circumstance. I have to find my confidence and competence in God. And this is, this is where I'm willing to let God work in me and through me. See, if I'm just working for God, I'm doing nothing. If I'm letting God work in and through me, He's doing much. And I think too many of us are trying to work really hard for God. And then we think God owes us. God, I'm working hard to give, and I'm working hard to serve, and I'm working hard. Do you know how hard I work? I go to Northridge Church and listen to that Brad Powell. I'm working hard for you. You owe me. But the thing is, working hard for God means you fail. But letting God work in you means he wins and succeeds, and that's what Paul did. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. Such confidence as this is ours. He says, you want to know how I stand looking as if I'm confident? I, I, my confidence is found in Christ. He says, it's not that I'm competent or capable on my own. No, I can't claim anything for myself, but my competence comes from God. Can I tell you right now, you can't live the Christian life, but the good news is Jesus can live his life through you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it shows what he did when he went into Corinth. He He He, he went in just with his confidence in God. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive human words but with a demonstration of God's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. Do you realize if I work in my abilities, your faith will be in my abilities and we'll all lose? But if I let God work through me, your faith might actually somehow find its way to God and if your faith is in God, then you start winning that's how Paul saw it we have to do the same thing he did if we don't we'll never have the confidence we need we'll never have the capabilities we need we will never change the world because only God can do that and the last point if we're going to be used by God to make a difference in this world if we're going to experience him in profound ways then like Paul we have to be willing to let God work in us and through us which means we have to not just genuinely believe like he did not just choose his wisdom over our wisdom and all these ideas but we have to ultimately get to the place where we genuinely believe that our world desperately needs what we have paul didn't stand on mars hill and speak jesus because it was easy or he thought it was going to get him ahead in the world he stood on mars Hill and spoke jesus because he believed that's what they desperately needed. he didn't see them as powerful and prosperous and, and people who had everything. He saw them as people who seemed to have everything, but he knew they had nothing. They needed Jesus, and so he spoke Jesus to them. He, look at how he… Acts seventeen thirty one. for he has set a day. He's standing in Athens on Mars Hill being judged by their Supreme Court, and, and he's standing in front of these justices, so to speak. He, he says, he has set a day. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. And he's given proof that this just judgment will happen by raising Jesus from the dead. He's being judged, and you know what he's telling them? You're going to be judged. And Jesus is the only right answer. He believed they were desperate for what he had. He was the one being judged. He was the one being thrown in prison. He was the one being beaten. He was the one suffering in this world. They were wearing robes and in places of prominence. But he didn't see them as someone he should be jealous about. He saw them as someone who desperately needed what he had. And so he spoke at Acts 4.12. Peter said, and Paul lived this way. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He says, these people with all their temples and all their gods are lost, and they need Jesus. He believed they were desperate for what he had, and he shared it. Do you know what holds back many of us from living and sharing Jesus in this world of ours? whether we're willing to vocalize it or not, many of us are jealous of what the people in our world have. We're jealous of their prosperity, we're jealous of their positions, we're jealous of their power, we're jealous of their comfort, we're jealous of their houses, we're jealous of their relationships, we're jealous of their pleasure, we're jealous of what they have. And if we're jealous of them, why would we stand up and risk ourselves speaking Jesus to them? Because if Jesus has failed to give us what we really want, why would we speak Jesus? We wouldn't. Do you know why we don't speak Jesus at work or live Jesus at work? Because we're jealous for what people who are successful in the marketplace have. Do you know why we don't live Jesus, speak Jesus in our community? Because we want to... We want people to like us in our community, lift us up. We're jealous for those people who are the most popular and so we don't speak Jesus. The problem is we're missing it. We're saying we're willing but we're not really willing because if we were truly willing we would say they don't know God like I do. They don't have life like I do. They desperately need what I have and I am not going to rob them of the chance. Paul didn't stand on Mars Hill and speak Jesus because it was easy Paul stood on Mars Hill and was willing to take abuse because he knew what they needed most was Jesus and the reason we stay silent about Jesus is because we don't think they're desperate for him he lived for Jesus he shared Jesus and as a result some people found Jesus Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 32 to 34. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, here he is, and he's in a place of philosophy, a place of academic celebration. He's in a place where the really smart people hung out, right? And, and, and he's telling them that Jesus rose from the dead. This is not something you tend to want to say to philosophers. And he's, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, you know what they did? They did what human beings do. Some of them laughed others said wow this guy's fascinating I'd like to hear him talk more he's a real idiot you know that kind of thing and then the council broke up and then look what it says a few men became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius who was a member of the aropicus a member of the Supreme Court of that day came to Jesus how did that happen because Paul spoke Jesus most people wouldn't have spoken Jesus there. They don't want to hear it. They're powerful. They've got more. It's not going to go over there. They're just going to throw me in prison. But because he spoke Jesus, what happened? One of them came to faith. Now, some believe. I can't, I can't prove this. There's some credibility to it, but I'm not going to speak it as if it's absolute. But, but some believe this Dionysius became the bishop of Athens and helped present Christ in that whole part of the world whether that's true or not I don't know but you know what I do know he was a man of power that found Jesus and for the rest of his life that power was used to speak Jesus in that world and it only happened because Paul was willing to let God work through him that way and then a woman named Damaris and others came to faith Paul in his fear and Paul in his weakness and Paul in his doubt and Paul, with knees trembling, stood on Mars Hill and spoke Jesus because he genuinely believed God was the true God. He chose God's wisdom over the world's wisdom and and he decided that they, though they looked like they had everything, had nothing and they desperately needed what he alone had. And so he spoke it and as a result lives changed. My, My question is, Are we really willing to be used like Paul? Are we really willing to let God work in us? If so, then we have to realize that it's not going to be our courage or our confidence or our capabilities that make us. It's going to be the fact that we believe God genuinely. Do you? That we choose His wisdom over the worlds, not trying to change it to make it more acceptable, that we find our confidence and competence in God and God alone, and that we believe that every person we meet desperately needs what we have, Jesus. And if we get to that place, Paul shows us what will happen. Some people will laugh. Some people will tolerate Some of the consequences might not be all that positive to us. He was thrown in prison, he was beaten, he was rejected. We could lose jobs, we could lose friends, we could lose status. It's true. But we'll experience the only thing that matters. God working in us and God working through us. And then what happens is we experience the God difference and the world experiences the God difference and then we experience what we're supposed to experience life and life to the full, but we have to be willing. Are you? Just before we move into worship, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you've made it clear to us that we don't have to be bigger than life, that life is bigger than us, that we don't have to be made of special stuff. No one has or ever has been, but, but all we have to do is be willing to let you work in us. And through us and when we do you change everything and so we pray spirit of the living God come live in us and through us and change everything for us and around us and we'll thank you in Jesus name
1: it up. It's, it's your
2: Of the building and every heart submitted all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord sing it with me sing it with me all the earth will
1: shout your-
2: yes that's it
1: our hearts will cry, these bones will say, great are you, Lord. Come on, let heaven hear you. You sound so great when you worship together.
2: Some people here today, who just need a special touch from the Lord and you want to receive prayer. So the prayer team is going to be down here at the front after service for you to come down and just get a point of connection and have someone just pray over you. So feel free to come on down. Thank you for worshiping with us and have a great week. God bless
1: you.